things started. And while you're turning there, there's just a little bit of a explanation of what new part of the uh, theology 101 doctrines 101 that we're doing. Tonight we're uh, looking at attributes of God, and they are broken into non-moral and then also the moral attributes. This is probably not an exhaustive study on it, because there's probably many other of moral attributes that people would maybe look at and, and see, but these are just uh, a few. <clears throat> and also, just to remind you that this is Doctrines 101, um, when I was going through the systematic theology, you know, you're you're talking, you know, hours every week, hammering out, you know, these concepts and looking at multiple verses. I'm what I'm trying to do is give you at least a couple of verses to be able to give you the concept about the Lord. Some of them, <clears throat> there may not be a lot of verses to say here it is, uh, or illustrations of it. But we're, we're going to do our best to do that. Uh, when you look at these attributes, they are uh, the omnipresence, the omniscience, the omnipotence, and then immutability. We have mentioned that on Sunday night. Now, three of these attributes are compound words using the prefix omni, which, of course, means all. So it will be, he is always present, he knows all, uh, he is all-powerful. And so these are just, just some of the, what we would call the omnis, or all-present all-knowing and all-powerful. And of course, God never changes the immutability of our God. Um, we probably, looking at the omnipresence, omniscience, and omnipotence, could take Psalm 139, and all of it will be fixed right here. But we're going to see other chapters also, and I don't know how familiar you are with this particular uh, Psalm of David but it is a beautiful one, goes from creation. I mean, it, it, this is the, the package psalm, if you will. So let's read some of it, okay? Psalm 139. We're going to start in verse 1, even though our notes say, start 7, we're going to see verse 1. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Now we're going to have an interaction here just a little bit as we're flowing. Um, I, I, as I'm getting ready to teach this, I mean, literally I see eyes closing with this psalm. It's such a precious psalm to us, and I apologize for having to break it up a little bit. But I want you to be putting beside some of these verses, what does that teach me about God? What am I learning about God? And I don't know how you study the Bible, but this is probably one of the, uh, pardon me, but the failures that we as Christians do when we're in our devotions is we're trying to get our chapters done and we didn't stop and think to ask some questions. And the number one question is, what did I learn about God out of this text? And another, you know, there's questions I go into. In other words, uh, another question I have is, what has God taught me about myself? What What is my response to God in this? Is it causing me is he asking me to pray? Is he asking me to get into the Word? Is he asking me to do something for a Christian? Is he talking to me about the world? Is he talking to me about separation? What is it that God's requiring of me, looking at the text? And so here is one of the things that we need to do in this text, is ask that question, what am I learning about God? And what do we learn in verse 1 about God? He knows me. But does he know you, and does he know me at the same time? How can he do that? 
Okay, he's God. That's a good answer. It's like like the kids when we go home from church. We're in the car and we're driving along. What did you learn in Sunday school? What did you learn about? God. Be a little more specific. Jesus, you know. Say, we need a little bit more. So which of the omnis would that go along with then? Uh-huh. And, and, and that's what I wanted you to pick up. Right there, what you just gave me is one of the things that I want you to notice about the omniscience and the omnipresence. Don't those two just kind of blend together? Since our God is there, He also knows. And that's the personal part of this that we're learning about our God is that as we know, he was at the service on Monday for the Arnolds. God was, God's presence was there. And I had a funeral on Tuesday, and God's presence was there. And, we, you know, and, and what is going on in your individual life at that very same moment, and that's where we stop and we think about God being everywhere. Verse 2, Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising, Thou understandest my thought afar off. What do we learn about God? He's everywhere. He knows where I'm at. And he knows what's going on inside of my mind. Amazing, isn't it? And the thing is, while, <clears throat> while I'm thinking of it, he knows it. And that's the thought of God's presence. And we'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. But this all-knowing is not limited to our time. We're going to see the vastness of our God through, through these. Verse 3, Thou compass my path and my lying down, art acquainted with all my ways. And the same concept, For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, Thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind, before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Isn't that the truth? Here we are trying to wrap our brains around the mind of God. It's just never going to happen. When we are there, when we are in heaven, things are going to come to light. But for here, it is our, it is our pleasure to search out our God and to get to know Him. And I love the text of 1 Corinthians 2, that we get to search out the deep things of God and all the things that God has freely given to you and I. Just, just the gifts of God is what we have the privilege of searching out all of our life. He goes on, verse 7, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, or the thought is the grave, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning, and dwell the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand, notice this, lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. And if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. 
So where can we go from God's presence? Do you think, you think Jonah tried to figure that one out? Okay, go here, I'm, you know, go to Nineveh. No, I think I'll go, get on the boat and go the opposite direction. So I'm out to sea, okay, in the bottom of the boat, and he's, he's just out there drifting, and God knew exactly where he was and didn't have a GPS, didn't need a GPS. He knew, and he knew exactly where he was at, and he knew where to bring the storm. And as he is finally thrown over, God knew exactly how to get a great fish there to open his mouth up just the right time to swallow him up. And then what's really cool is he takes this fish and takes him where he's supposed to go in the first place and, and throws him up out onto the dry land. Do you really believe that stuff happened? Isn't it amazing? We tell those stories to the kids almost like it's a, it's a cute story. And we use it sometimes in that way. This is serious stuff. God is all he's trying to do to him is say, listen, I'm God. All you have to do is walk into Nineveh, give him a message. If you don't get your act together, you're going to die. If you don't repent and get out of this sin, you're going to die. And, of course, we know the story. Even after that great act of God was still upset because of going into Nineveh to preach to them repentance. He did it. But then he's up on the side there, that rig waiting to see if they were going to do it or not. He's like having this talk with God. I knew you were going to do it because I know you love people. I know you're gracious and you're merciful and you're going to save these people. And, and these are the bad guys, you know. This is the capital of the bad people. You know, we don't want them saved. They're, they're bad. They're, they torture people. They're horrible people. They're not Jews. Kill them. And God says, no, I'm going to show you I love the world. Even before Jesus said it in Matthew 28 and before John 3.16. The Omnis. These are neat. Let's look at a couple of them. Uh, Jeremiah explains it maybe a little different in chapter 23. Going through Jeremiah, my devotions right now, and boy, this chapter is all marked up. This is, uh, boy, this is where it talks about the Lord our righteousness, uh, the uh, caution to the pastors, those who are supposed to be feeding the sheep. Uh, boy, he, he really beats up the preachers, the, pa- uh, the, the uh, pastors in this book. They weren't doing a very good job. But here in chapter 23, verse 23, it says this. <clears throat> Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? Now, that, there's a question there. But we still can learn something about God. Now, in D2, we're going through the, you know, D2 and, uh, and, and talking about how to study the Bible. And one of the things you have to be careful of, of building uh, doctrines on a question in the Bible. You just have to be careful. But God is here trying to explain something. Am I a God that is here at hand, present, 
or am I the God that's out there in a distance somewhere and you have no idea where I'm hanging out at? So the answer is, he is at hand. Look at verse 24 to go along with it. Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him? Saith the Lord, do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord. So he is saying, go to heaven, I am there. Earth, I am there. I fill it all. How can he do that? How can God do that? You say, he's God. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Let me ask a couple questions. Can Satan do that? That's right. Which is really important for us as Christians to understand. Our Savior, our God, he is everywhere. The demonic forces, that which God has created, and as strong as Satan and the demons are, there is no way that they can ever compare to who God is. And that's why that wonderful verse in, in uh, 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, right? So we have the Spirit of God inside of us. The world does not. And there's, I won't get sidetracked here. So, um, so God is trying to say, listen, we have him inside of us. His presence is there. That's why we are called as the church, the temple now. Because of the presence of God inside of you and I, and that thought, I'm never going to leave you, I'm never going to forsake you, all of those wonderful verses come into light, that because God's presence is there, it is a, a comfort to us when we're walking with Him. And when we are not walking in the light, and we don't have that fellowship as First John 1 talks about, then His presence is a what? Conviction. Right? But God isn't going to leave. He's still going to be working inside of us to draw us uh, to himself. Satan, on the other hand, he is not everywhere. Um, matter of fact, we oftentimes will blame Satan for an occurrence in our personal life. Do you realize the likelihood of Satan himself dealing with you as an individual is probably like hardly ever going to happen. What is Satan doing? Well, he may be right now in the Middle East. He might be in the White House. Don't get mad at me. But he can't be here at Northside and there at the same time. And his strategies with politics right now, governments, the affairs of this world, all that's going on as the head is probably not going to be trying to get you upset because you got a flat tire and you got splashed by mud, and then you say, that was the devil. No, it wasn't, probably. I, it might be, but I'd even look at myself to say, I don't think I'm that important in God's kingdom that Satan himself would come after me. But we do believe according to the Revelation, that he took a third of the stars or angels with him, and that's how we would interpret that, and that's where the demonic forces would come into place, that they would be part 
of what attacks are coming from the strategy of Satan to try to get Christians to fall. That's what he's trying to do in our lives, is to cause us to deny our God. Look at the book of Job. So he would use the messengers to try to take us away, to deny him, and, and, and to, to, to uh, uh, deny God's presence and his work inside of us. That's what Satan is trying to do, to draw ultimately our worship towards him. Because if we serve or worship anything besides God, it is called idolatry. Okay? The, uh, the next one is a familiar with one to you. You could probably, most of you quote it. We'll go ahead and and turn to it so I can tell this is going to take a while to get through this page. Psalm 46. I'm sorry. Psalm 46 and verse number 1. Psalm 46, 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. It is as though our God can be there and is there the very moment of whatever is happening in our life. Many of us who have read history and church history and see the, the catastrophes and things that went on, uh, you know, the world wars and it, specifically uh, uh, Hitler against the Jews and, and, and the Christians that were involved, all of this, and you stop and you say, where was God? He was there. Working inside of people and working in the affairs. Um, I won't be so bold as some teachers and preachers I've heard of what God was trying to do, especially during that world war. What was God trying to do and to show and to draw uh, Israel too, whether he was putting them on their knees to say, listen, you've left me. I've sent my Messiah. I don't know exactly, but, but God was there and he had a purpose. It, and it, there was a plan in it all. And uh, remember, God is the one on the throne, not Satan. And Satan can never do what God says no to. He is limited. And there again, the book of Job is where you'll see and develop that doctrine. You see, you say, well, it doesn't seem fair that, that Satan would be allowed to put us into, or his, his, his messengers would allow him to, to put these things into our life. But what we have to remember is that the testing or the trials of our faith is more precious than any gold or silver. Because without those stresses and without those trials and the temptations, we won't grow in our faith. We will become dormant. It will actually go downhill if it's not exercised and strengthened. And that's why God puts us through uh, these things that, well, we just don't like. Landry, when asked as uh, the Dallas Cowboy coach, when he was asked about that whole thing of the Super Bowls and how he got his men to, to, you know, just to be able to achieve such great goals, he said, bottom line was this, I made those men do what they did not want to do to achieve what they always wanted to achieve. We don't want to work hard, but we sure like the prize. And that's what, what God has us going through 
are the workouts, spiritual exercises, the trusting, the faith, the getting on our knees, and the fasting at times, all of these things that he drives us to so that we will trust him, and that's when the prize comes. But it's not because of laziness. It comes because of work. And that's what we don't like, right? The work. But we like the prize. Psalm 145 says it this way. Verse 18, Psalm 145, 18. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in what? Truth, okay? So what are we learning about God here in verse 18? Okay, so truth versus lie, deception, right? So we, we, we can't expect as we, what, what's the calling? It's, isn't that prayer? So as we're calling on the Lord, God says, I am going to be nigh to people when they call upon me, and then them that call upon me, but it needs to be in truth, not error. So the thought is, the guy sitting in jail begins to pray, you know, wrongly that, the doors would be opening up, like Acts 16, <clears throat> but it's, he's in there because he murdered somebody. You know, do you honestly think the Lord's going to say, yeah, I'm just going to just go ahead and get you right out of here? But we see in the book of Acts, when, when they were praying for Peter, God says, this persecution, I'm going to be acting, and I'm going to open up, because there's something that's going on that is real, that's truth, that's right. Now, please don't misunderstand me. It doesn't mean when we get persecuted, we pray God's automatically going to be opening up the prison doors for us. But you see how he is, he is laying himself, and, and we'll get into this you know, a little more deep in, in depth, is when we look at God and who he is and his will, and, and we open up, there are things that God will open up and willfully do. And because of his all-power, he can do whatever he wants to do. And if he still wants to open up a prison door, he's allowed to, because he's God. I got a note this, this week from, uh, from a friend from uh, Boston. We were uh, praying for them because uh, Linda, Bob's wife, Linda, uh, his, her mother had cancer. And bottom line is they uh, sent her home and said, just get your affairs ready because you are, you're going to die. And um, he, he said, we don't know what's going on, but the doctors are looking at her and saying, you have no cancer in you. There's, it's not there. And they said, there's not, we don't even do anything. We can't, there's nothing to do now. So she's cancer free. I mean, they sent her home and said, you are dead, basically. You are, you are dying. God can do whatever he wants, you know? And, and I've talked to many doctors and assistants, and I've, I've asked them, I said, have you seen things like this? You know, we hear these stories, and every doctor that, that I've met that is a Christian said, we have seen things, here's the picture, here it is, here's picture number two, and it's not there now. Where did it go? God can do these things. 
And there's times that I don't know it, but I'm going to die of a heart attack tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? This is all God's department, and that's where we have to trust in our God who is present in our life and is active inside of my life, and and He knows all of these things that we have to trust Him. We have to truly trust Him. Let's look at the second one, and that's the all-knowing omniscience of our God. And God knows all things, whether they're present, past, present, or future, and that's the bottom line. So, why, why is that important for us as Christians to know about our God is that He knows everything, past, present, and future? I'm sorry? He's con- he is in control, isn't He? Yeah. Can we see that in the history of Israel? The, the acts, what God was doing, right? Yeah, and he knows where it's going to, right? Why is that important to us? Okay, it sure does shape our behavior, doesn't it? Yep, I agree. Okay, all right. So as we observe the past, we're yeah, I agree. We're going to be observing the future as a result of it. Let's look at a couple of Proverbs here. Proverbs chapter 5. And we're looking at verse 21 here. For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. He pondereth, that it be thought as God is pondering all his goings. He's looking at man. That's a little bit what John was talking about. Over to chapter 15. In verse number 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. And then the last one is over in Hebrews in chapter 4. Hebrews 4 and then verse 13. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do, as though we have an accountability to him, so everything is open and known to God. Um, Whenever we look at the world and what is going on, God knows what is going on inside of the world of the lost. God knows what's going on inside of this church. He knows what is going to be happening in five years from now at Northside as a church, in your life as an individual. There is nothing, whether it is the history, whether it is present, whether it is future, there is nothing that God does not ultimately no but it goes a little further when he talks about the word of god in in hebrews 4 he talks about the word of god that knows the thoughts and the intents of the heart He, he he knows everything and what's really neat is someday when we get into heaven now this thought just blows me away that we as Christians are going to stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment seat or the beam of seat of Christ. 
Now let's stop and think about this. How many names do you think you have memorized? People. That you know, you know their names. Let me, let me add a little more. That you know their phone number. And then we're going to add their address and where they work. I'm not done yet. How many hairs do they have on their head? Zero. <laughs> don't start. Adam, don't start now. Be nice. I'm just trying to give the Lord a break. He doesn't have to remember quite as much, right? Now, that's just us. That's just an individual to wrap our brains around trying to memorize, let's say, 150 to 200 people and to know their names, their phone numbers, their addresses, and what their favorite color is and how many hairs are on their head. You see what I'm saying? This is like an overload for us to take this little bit of time and to... Now, now follow me. God, through every generation, through all time, knows everyone that is a Christian. As the shepherd, he knows his sheep. And he can call them by name. And he knows everything about them. He knows when they were born. He knows when they died or will die. He knows where they went to church, where they worked. He knew everything about them to the point where God knows what their heart was all about. He knew their faith. And that would be the last generation, the last century, the last millennium. Every individual, and we will all together, when the rapture takes place, all of us, however many they be, God knows that number too, will stand to receive the things that we did in our individual lives to know I will stand there as a Christian, as a husband, as a father, as a grandparent, as a pastor, that's down on the list, I'm going to be given account for everything that I did. And God is going to know everything I did and why I did it. Or why I didn't do it. Everything. And we're going to watch this happen to the X amount of number of people up to the rapture that stand before Him for that particular judgment. Does that help you to understand how big our God is? The, there's a guy that uh, got fired at work. Um, this comes from another preacher, this story. And the individual was, was on his computer. And uh, that particular computer had been logging everything that he had been doing on his computer for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. Come to find out, he was looking at some really, really, really bad stuff on his computer. And the result was, he, he, uh, he, he didn't delete it. He didn't change the hard drive. And it was right there. And somebody found it. So they pulled out this hard drive and began to examine. They could say what day, what time, everything to the detail 
of what he did weeks and months ago on his computer. And it was all logged there. And he said, you're fired. Man came up with a database that was capable of memorizing what we forgot we did three weeks ago. But it's logged. If man can come up with a database that could do something like that, what kind of a database do you think our God has? Amazing. The mind of our God that we are trying to wrap our brains around him. Fascinating. And he knows you, and he cares for you, and he loves you. And he, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yep. I have to repeat that. I've been asked to make sure everybody hears. What John was saying was it's, it moves us to understand the grace of God. When we look at how large, how great, immeasurable our God is, uh, we don't even measure up to a, a, a grain of dust compared to our God. That, that immediately, John, reminds me of the psalmist when he says, when I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? Grace. Why did Jesus come? When you look at, at this whole immensity of our God and who he is and what he can do. Well, we got through two of them tonight. As you can see, we've got a lot more to cover. And I think that, the, that a study like this moves us to, to serve our God in a greater way, to be aware of God's presence. When you are praying, maybe whether it's tonight before you go to bed or you get up and you're having your devotions and you're, and you're praying, think about you versus how great our God is. And the thing is, he cares and is listening to, to that special prayer that you're going to have. Any other questions or comments? Les? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. He was talking about the future, and we know that Satan during the millennial reign will be put into the pit. And he's going to be there in hell for that thousand years. And that's his location. He's released. And amazing how he's going to be able to deceive the nations yet again. And uh, he, he's going to be underway. Uh, yeah, that's for sure. Any other questions, comments? Okay. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time that we have a chance to study you. And what an exciting thing it is for us as Christians to, to see the depth of who you are the Lord, we will be in more of an awe and to worship you. Thank you so much for this time. Bless it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.